going to continue and complete the story of Gideon. But to do that, I'm going to need some, uh, some willing assistance. I need somebody on the whiteboard with me to, um, to help me with this. I mean, we've had some really great examples of people uh, who know how to use a whiteboard. The thing about a whiteboard is, if the letters are capitalized and they're about four feet, four feet, <laughs> four inches high, it doesn't matter where you are in the room, you'll always see them. Now, whether you see them and can read them is a whole nother thing, but you can see them. I know, you, you've seen me up here, I've got my dyslexic moments spelling pilot the wrong way and you know all of that stuff so that's fine um, but we could do with somebody to help me on the whiteboard anybody uh, ready and willing I just need a hand right there Rebecca's coming she was offering me wine at the uh, local wine store yesterday and now she's coming to help me with the uh, whiteboard you're a multi faceted incredibly talented person Rebecca I shall give you a, a pen and uh, we'll get on with it. I think uh, Karen is going to help me with one microphone, and maybe you're on this side of the, uh, the auditorium, where I think we may have some uh, Seattle Seahawk fans, but who knows? They're hard to find these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's, uh, there's that. There's Karen, and we need somebody on this side of the building. Uh, come on. Come on, Jillian. Right there, look. Thank you, Julian. So, we've been looking at Gideon, and um, we've noticed some really quite important things. God took him in his weakness and frailty, and in that weakness and frailty, he was able to capture the life, the heart of Gideon, because Gideon chose to make himself available. He wasn't he wasn't from a great clan. He wasn't from a big family. He wasn't a man of significant talents. He wasn't a person that was recognized as being any likely candidate to be the leader of Israel. But when God sent his angel, he spoke to him about his future. And he said, Hail, mighty warrior. Hail, man of valor. In other words, his identity was not defined by his circumstances or by his past. His identity was defined by God and the future that God had for him. And that's true of each one of us. And so we looked at that a little bit. <clears throat> we did a little bit of work on the, on the passage that week. And then we looked, of course, at the great victory of the, of the original 300, not the Spartan 300. They were years later, I think 800 years later. The, um, the original 300, Gideon's 300, and uh, we looked at how it was that God worked and prepared there. Now, what's been interesting is we've looked at the way in which anxiety and fear were capturing the hearts of the Israelites. The Israelites were, of course, afraid because these Midianite hordes would come and steal their harvest every year. They were afraid because they were living in scarcity. They were living in need. They were on the very edge of poverty and starvation. And so obviously this was something that kind of filled out their life. But what God did was to change it around entirely by demonstrating that however big the fear, faith 
can replace the fear if we let him. And the way that God does that is his presence, his loving presence, perfect love drives out fear, his loving presence pushes away fear and then God speaks to our heart and that word creates faith and so faith takes the place of fear. Now, one of the practical uh, suggestions I made was that um, we start kind of being a bit more sober a bit less engaged with social media because the algorithms that run social media and run a lot of those search engines that kind of support all of that are algorithms of anxiety. I mean, this whole research uh, kind of area that's been created about this, this, this anxiety created by these algorithms because, of course, they're defined by the things that will cause people to engage with the material. And the things that cause people to engage with the material are the things that cause people to be afraid. Since sharing that a couple of weeks ago, two young men have spoken to me directly and have said that they have been delivered from depression in a way that they've not seen in their life before, simply because they got rid of the, uh, the, the apps on their phone. Isn't that interesting? So we've actually got live testimony of young people finding that the depression that they thought was a kind of clinical condition, and it may well prove to be the case, has been relieved and alleviated enormously simply because they're not feeding their fears and anxieties with the apps that are, I mean, just so cleverly designed to do that. So isn't that interesting? So here's my encouragement to you. Listen to that. Things are established by two or three witnesses, we said last week. Well, we've got two or three witnesses that say, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression, maybe one thing, speak to your doctor, share times with the people that are closest to you, mature in the faith, maybe one thing that you can do to begin to alleviate that reality is to get rid of those apps from your phone. Now this week, we're going to dive into the completion of the story. And um, to do that, we're going to read some verses from, uh, uh, where are we, uh, Judges, not Luke, Judges chapter 18. So if you want to join me in that, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read from uh, Judges 18 and verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give you them. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, 
and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were around their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. An ephod is like a waistcoat. So if you can think of what it was that, uh, that Gideon was making, he was making something that you would wear and that was unmistakably amazingly expensive. And instead of wearing it every day, he set it up uh, in his hometown. So we've got a couple of minutes. Let's just uh, reflect on this passage. What is it that strikes you in the passage? What is it that highlights itself to you in the passage? Those of you who are familiar with reading the scriptures will of course know that that's God just prompting you to, to maybe attend to what it is that he's wanting to, to bring to your attention there. If you're unfamiliar with that, then just assume that this is something that's important to you and worth reflecting on for a moment. So let's just have a few minutes. Let's read the passage again to ourselves silently. And as we do that, let's just look for the thing that grabs our attention. Verse 8. Yeah, but chapter 8, verse 22. Did I say that? Did I say 18? And you're going, where is he? It's got nothing to do with Gideon. Sorry. Is that all right? Okay. So go back to the beginning on 22 there again. Sorry, guys. I wish you'd have told me earlier. Was somebody actually in 18 trying to follow me? You all were. Look, I'm a weak and frail man. Come on. All right, so we'll do, uh, we'll do chapter 8 and verse Okay, so um, let's do this. Let's share the thing that we saw in the text that we thought was interesting with one other person that's right near you right now. Just share, share what it is that you thought. If you're by yourself on a, on a pew, then have a look around and chat to somebody else. Bird, you'll have to find somebody. Oh, here you are, Christine is coming. Make sure both of you share. 
Hey guys, just leave my microphone on, don't take it up and down. Okay. Um, make sure that both of you share. <laughs> I do feel a bit silly about giving you chapter 18 there, sorry about that. All right, what have we got? Let's get the runners going. Microphones, runners, right there. Jillian, do you see that one? I'm coming. Tell us who you are, tell us what you got. Hey, my name is Giselle, and I'm a little biased in the story because my son's name is Gideon. So um, theoretically, I know something about the story, but don't. Um, so what occurred to me is Gideon asked for all this stuff, all this money that has value, and I don't know what his original intention is because it's not stated, but he ends up using it for something that ended up being like a source of sin and a problem. So uh, more money, more problems. You know, he ended up using it for something that was, could have been used for good, and he used it for something that ended up being a source of sin. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Thank you. So this is on my side, so I'm going to put it on my side. I'm going to put the name up first, Gideon. Every time, of course, I say that name, the little boy looks up and thinks, I'm, why am I talking to him? And so he, um, he asked for a gift that became... Uh, you kind of said a source of sin, didn't you? Is, is that what you said? A source of sin. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that, that he did that. I've often wondered what it was that he was thinking. You know, what, what, what was his idea? My sense is that this is, the, this is before the, the time of you know, getting the Congressional Medal. He, he wanted to get a medal. He, he wanted some kind of recognition that, that he'd done this thing. And, um, and certainly the way that he uses it seems to indicate that he wanted to celebrate the fact that he had achieved this great, this great thing. And I think that that might well be the beginning of the issue. But that's just my thought. I, you, you may have a different thought about that. Is it, did you say your name was Giselle? Yeah, that's a great name. I think it's probably my favorite ballet, but there you go. <laughs> okay, we've had this side. What about this side? Anybody? Right there. Right there. You might have to pass the microphone down there. Tell us your name. My name is Elizabeth, and both of the kids had something that stood out to them. So this is Haley over here. And she thought it was interesting that he made the garment, but he didn't actually wear it. That yeah. He kind of put it up interesting. every day in the town. And this is Ashley. And the thing that stood out to her was, why did he do that? <laughs> why did he make the ephod to start? Why? Yeah. Exactly. Why? A great question. It's no, there's no answer in the Bible, is there? But, but um, so we'll put, um, he made it, but didn't wear it. Yeah, why did, no, why he, what, he made it, yeah, this is cool, it's not 
Oh, I see. And not where it got it. Yeah, that's good. Rebecca's got her own way of writing on the board, and it kind of works for me. It's cool. It's, it's very artistic. You're left-handed, you see. So it's perfect. M maybe we should specify from now on that everybody on that side of the board has to be left-handed. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to go. Okay, what about over here? Oh, we've got, we've got another hand over here as well after that. Jeff in his typical red shirt. Hello, Hello Jim. Hi. Tell us your name, Jim. Really? <laughs> uh, I, was, I was struck. Uh, he, so he showed humility in the sense that they, they sure. offered him kingship and lord over him, but he gave it to the lord, and then he turned around and did this thing with Isn't the, that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, so, so he was humble about being king but still liked recognition is that fair jim is that fair i mean cuz it's like i mean that's basically what's going on there isn't it he's saying well I, you know i don't want to i don't want to step on god's toes here but i am awesome yeah so we've got somebody else coming on over there. What, what about over here? Karen, have you seen anybody yet? Oh, hand over here, and then there's another one over there. Go for it. My name is Rick. Hey, Rick. My question is, well, not a question, but observation, that a chapter back, they tore down the Asherah pole, tore down the Baal, and now they're back to worshiping another thing. Yeah, yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So How quickly they turn away. So how quickly they turn away. That's great. Very good. What about over here? I think Jeff's right behind you. He's behind you. <laughs> yeah, this is really, really insightful. But and your name is? Jeff. Jeff. Or Sunny D. 1F Jeff or Sunny D. <laughs> we so, like Sunny D. Yeah. All, all Israel. And then, you know, there are kids in the room. So, but the prostituted. Yeah. I mean, they literally had just had an ex this huge victory, and they returned and then they run right after. back to what was yeah, familiar and comfortable. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it's all Israel. All Israel ran after a new God. Yeah. Is that fair? Okay, what about over here? This is fun, I'm loving this. Right there. Hi there, uh, my name is Justin. Justin! Uh, Just in uh, time, well done. <laughs> I bet you've never heard that ever in your whole life, have you? Oh yeah, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I guess the thing that stands out to me for some reason, I think about like worshiping materialism and um, yeah. you know, Back then, it was idols of stone and gold and these yep. kind of things. But, mm -hmm. you know, maybe in today's world, it's more things like, you know, the TV or the uh -huh. guitar or <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. But um, I was also curious, and this is just a question you might know, um, but I was reading in how he says, I think it's interesting how he says, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And then they make this gold ephod 
And I'm wondering if it has any kind of connection with the golden calf with Moses. Ah, interesting. And you might know more about that. You yeah, know, but yeah. I thought they made the golden calf to worship God. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's really interesting, Justin. So, um, yeah. So, so what, what was the, f- the first point was we, we tend to worship material things. So can we put that up? So we tend to worship material things. So here's... Here's a thing that I, I don't know the answer to the question that you've just asked, Justin, but here's my question that kind of maybe elucidates what it is that you're talking about there. The people would most certainly know the story of their deliverance from Egypt. This would be something, I mean, Moses said, Make sure that your children hear these stories. When you take them by the hand and walk down the street, make sure that they all know the stories of, of deliverance. And so they will all have had the oral tradition of these stories fixed in their minds. I wonder whether that story was triggered into, if you like, a reenactment by the very fact that Gideon said, give me the earrings. Because what it is that Justin is referring to is that when Moses was up the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the people became restless and wondered whether he's ever going to come back, and they assumed he wasn't. And so they went to his brother Aaron, who was a priest of the Lord, and they said, um, we, we want to we make a God of our own, because obviously if, if Moses has got a God, he's disappeared up the mountain. So... Aaron said, give me your earrings. Give me the earrings that you've, you've been given by the Egyptians. And so maybe there was something in that exchange between Gideon and the people that triggered them back into that response. I think it's a possibility. I think that people often get triggered into behavior without them really thinking about it because it's kind of ingrained within them. Just a thought. But it's a great question, Justin. On this side over here? Yeah. Hello. Hello, my name is Ashley. Hello, Ashley. Hello. And um, I don't think this was said, but basically what I'm kind of gathering is, um, I don't know how much 17 shekels are in this day and age, but um, just the thought of the weight of like yeah. this garment. And so it's like, um, if you think about like the garment of righteousness and all that kind of stuff, sure. like it's not supposed to be... Uh, heavy and it's right. supposed to be light and and this cloak so to speak or how do you say it okay yeah um is is heavy right and then yeah. there's it every- weighed it weighed 43 pounds that's Thank what you. those that seven that's how many it would so 43 pound weighing waistcoat you know yeah that's a lot in a for hot country a garment. You, yeah. you wouldn't want to wear that every day <laughs> i mean yeah. wedding dresses aren't even that heavy these days <laughs> so um <laughs> so just the thought of something that is heavy that's supposed to be beautiful and gold and and then not only that but like everyone wanting it so here we have a garment of sin we can call it i guess yeah. and um and it's wanted even though it might be worthy in like the world sense of of um, weight of gold, yeah. but then in the spiritual sense, it's it's heavy and it's mm-hmm. not like it's it's yeah. sin so, that's heavy. Yeah. So the the kind of symbolism there is when we take on the things that have been created by a sinful world and want to wear them, we forget how heavy it is to us and to our lives. Yeah. 
that we're carrying a burden, even though the thing that we might have in our life looks glorious, it's still a burden, yeah? influencer like Instagram like kind of yeah. like you were saying before is like it can look great it can look like wow sure. you can get all these things but interesting yeah yeah so. that's good that's great we nearly got a conversation going there um, right there I, oh hang on I need to put something up don't know what, what did I yeah uh, sin weighs a lot how about that is that okay good go hello my name is Andrew Andrew! And uh, I thought it was interesting. Andrew with the deepest voice in the world. <laughs> I thought it was interesting at the end where uh, the Israelites were worshiping this garment and it was a snare to Gideon and his family. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that it wasn't a snare to Israel, it was a snare to Gideon and his family. Yeah. So, so what, do you think the, what do you think the snare was then, Andrew? Got any thoughts about that? Uh, I think it could be so he didn't want to rule over them. Yeah. But that garment was like a symbol of leadership and okay. um, yeah. like the church. So I think that maybe just having that garment uh, and having it related to him kind of mm. put him in a position where people look to him. Yeah, so, so the garment, an ephod would be worn by a high priest, uh, not one as heavy as that, but certainly an ephod, a, a kind of waistcoat with kind of rather beautiful things on it. And so he's kind of drawing attention to himself, isn't he? And that attention that's being drawn to him is causing him to kind of be snared by it. Is, is that basically what we're saying there, Andrew? That's good. Very good. I mean, this is so much fun, so we'll just keep going for a little while. Uh, over here. So I love this story. Um, and if you think how it starts with them getting raided and all that time, yeah. uh, they're not living at peace. Yeah. And when you come to that end, it seems like it's a peace. Yeah. But it's a false peace. Yeah, yeah. It's not a continuing peace, is it? And I think of, uh, I mean, for me, it, it hits living in the States. Yeah. We want to just be left alone. We want that peace. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a real it's peace. It's twisted. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Because there's only one place where you get real peace, and that's Jesus, isn't it? So you, you, you can, you can kind of keep down the anxiety and hold it down, but the only way to really receive the opposite of that is uh, the Prince of Peace taking residence. So I need to write that down, don't I? Yeah. Um, peace was not lasting. Okay. I think we've got one more on that side that we can do. Oh, right there. Hey. Hey, John. Tell us what Hi, your name is. John. Okay. Um, the beginning, after all that the Israelites had been through, they said, you have saved us. Yeah. And uh, my crazy? mind just inserted a political <laughs> party. Instead of you have saved us. Yeah. So there's 120,000 Midianites and 300 guys with torches and vases and they saved them. <laughs> it's just hilarious, isn't it? I mean, what were they thinking? It's crazy, isn't it? You're right, John. In today's world, we just insert a political party sure. that saved us. Sure. And, and that's going to save us. Yeah. Not look to the true source. How can, how can any human save us? Yeah, thank you. Very good. 
All right, I think we should have a round of applause for all of the participants today, for our runners, and for, of course, our wonderful whiteboard personality. She's still writing away, fervently trying to get the last thought up there. Well done. Well done, Rebecca. Rebecca, please. Yeah, very good. All right. So, um, we've got a few minutes. I'd like to just close out the time by giving you a couple of thoughts about what's going on here and a, a little reflection for each one of us because here's the thing, Apex is committed to being a community of disciples who make disciples. Now it may be that the disciples that you're called principally to make are your children your siblings, your spouse. It could be that the, the people that you're principally called to are people who are in a permanent relationship with you. Or it could be that the Lord has given you the opportunity to disciple people who are in more of a passing relationship with you. People who perhaps you don't see every day, but nevertheless you have both a, a kind of sense of urgency to to be with them and to work with them and to help them to be followers of Jesus. People who you know that have a, a, a sense that the, the Lord is calling them and drawing them. So if you're called as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to make disciples of others, it's really important that we think through what it is that's going on here. Turn to Judges chapter 7, verse 17. And I don't mean 17, I mean chapter 7. Everybody get it? So, Gideon has just been down in the Midianite camp and he's heard the dream of the Midianite and the interpretation of the dream, which tells him that not only is God going to deliver the Midianites into his hands, but the Midianites believe that that's going to happen. So God is putting fear into his enemies so that they're kind of just ready and ripe to respond to what it is that God does to drive them out of the land. And when we... Um, when we see Gideon returning, we see, him, we see him speaking to the 300 in a particular way. He says, um, I'll just find it <clears throat> real quick. He says to them, watch me, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, <clears throat> excuse me, do exactly as I do. Now, if you're going to disciple somebody, you have to provide them with revelation of Jesus. And the best way to do that, of course, is to introduce them to the Bible. And the way that we're using the Bible on Sundays is a great way to start so that people feel like they have an equal footing with you 
as they read the Bible because you're not bringing clever insights from lots of different parts of the Bible. You're just looking at the text together and you're saying what it is that strikes you in the text. Well, that's a great way to allow Jesus to bring revelation to the, the life and heart of the people that you're called to disciple. Revelation is important. It's important that, that that individual learns how to make an application of that revelation. But all the way through Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New, but especially in the New, when we look at the life of Jesus, we understand that being a follower of Jesus means that we imitate his life in the life of another person. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so, Revelation is important, application is important, imitation is vital. Children, as they grow up, want to imitate their parents. It's the natural way that the Lord has built into the lives of his creatures so that they actually learn how to do things. And it's not just human beings. I mean, all of the creatures that God has made, imitation is foundational to their way of existing. <clears throat> so imitation is going to be enormously important to the process of discipleship that you engage with. Now, if, if that's part of it, then of course you have to be prepared to say to someone, watch me and watch my life. And you have to be prepared for someone to want your life. Yeah? Now, this, is, this is really important here because, because there's all kinds of complexities that surround this. Desire, desire is foundational to discipleship. Now, we, we've got problems about that, of course, because so much of our world has subverted and twisted and and subjugated the natural processes of desire so that they're only ever focused in our sexuality, which is a tragedy. Attraction and desire is foundational to what it means to be a disciple of another. You need to want something about their life especially the things that you see in their life that Jesus has put there. So it's vital that we understand this. So we need to be prepared for people to watch our life, examine our life, come to a, a kind of an understanding of why it is that we do certain things. And then we have to live with the, the complexities of another person wanting the life that we're living with Jesus so that they can live it too. Now, there's lots of things that can go wrong at this point. Let me just, um, let me just write down just a couple of them. At this point, the watching and the wanting can turn into worship.
Now, worship is appropriate, but worship should be directed to God. Yeah? So you see the life of another person. They're prepared to be transparent with you and share with you both their struggles and their successes. You get to see how in the midst of their struggles, they begin to see successes because of the way that Jesus is working in their life and they they give you access to their life so that you can understand that. And so, as you do that, you find yourself worshiping God because you say, God's amazing. Look what he's doing in that person's life. Or you begin to give that person that you're wanting their life undue adulation. Undue adulation. The attraction becomes an adulation of the other person and it inevitably goes wrong. It's not going to ever end well. Where it ended for the children of Israel was in bondage. Because they ran away from the protection of the Lord and the enemy was waiting for them. Be alert, be aware, says Peter. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion. If you wander from the path, if you find yourself focusing on the adulation of the world, either as you receive it or as you give it, you'll find yourself in the territory of the enemy, not the land of the Lord. Bondage is always the destination of a world that worships creatures rather than the creator. So it's very interesting this. We, we call celebrities stars, don't we? Everybody knows that. In the world of Gideon, when the average person looked at the stars, they looked at the company of the heavenly host. The vast majority of people were polytheists. They were people who believed in multiple gods and they believed that every pinpoint of light was an indication of a god. Isn't it interesting that our celebrities are also called stars and that they somehow influence and define our lives more and more so as as social media platforms have given us access into their lives. So often it's, it's just a pretend access, of course. It always leads to bondage. Now, what, can, what else can happen that could kind of go wrong? Well, you can begin to wish, you can begin to wish that what the other person has, you also have. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is this. You could begin to wish that the things that God has put into another person's life, you also had, 
without the journey that produced it. Yeah? It's called envy. And what we're dealing with today is the first and the last commandment. And people who've studied the Ten Commandments and have seen it in terms of its cultural relevance have suggested that the first commandment that tells you to worship God and only God then flows into the next four commandments that help you to understand what that means. It means that you should rest and not always work because, of course, if you're always working, then you assume that your prosperity is dependent upon you. How foolish you could be if you believed that. The last commandment, do not covet, do not envy, gives us insight into the previous four laws. The law about murder and, and theft and false witness and adultery. And what the experts indicate is this, that if you covet, you will kill. Because you want something from that person, and so you're prepared to take their life to get it. You will steal. You will lie. And so envy becomes this incredibly toxic presence in the life of a person. The watching and the wanting become a wishing and all of the stories in the scriptures tell us it usually ends in betrayal. Saul, King Saul, was envious of David. The women, when they came back from, from defeating Goliath, said, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul's saying, wait a minute, I'm the king. And so he saw the prominence, the influence, the status, the access that a person had that was near him, and he began to envy it. Do you ever find yourself looking at another person and thinking, wow, I wish I had what they have. I wish I had their charisma. I wish I had their access to influence. I wish that, that their friendship with Mike was my friendship. That envy inevitably leads along the path to betrayal. Judas, we're told, was in the same boat because he wanted the money for himself and it became a presence in his life that slowly wore him down until he was prepared to betray Jesus for money. So, where is there a positive direction? Well, the positive direction leads in the direction that Jesus always indicates. 
if you want something from another person's life, ask them if you can walk with them. Ask them, can I spend time with you? I know you're busy, everybody is, but I'd love just to get a little bit of time with you so that I can begin to understand what it is that you've received from God and how it is that you've learned to receive it and embrace it because I really would love that for my life. I can see something about you that I really would like. Now, you don't have to have this as your speech, but, but basically what it is that you're trying to do here is to find a, a person that's prepared to give you access to their life so that you can learn via imitation how to live their life that God has given them. And inevitably, this will always lead to believing so uh, you starting to get it this is really really important if you're a disciple maker this is probably as important a message as you can ever get I'm not dancing around and making it kind of interesting for you I'm simply trying to give it to you as I believe it is in scripture and as it is that I've seen it in my own life. This always leads to breakthrough. This always leads to break down. So here's the question. Are you prepared to risk the possibility of this for the opportunity of this? I'll be honest with you. I've seen so much betrayal and I've seen so much unhelpful adulation. There are certain things that kind of trigger me that I'll sometimes bark at people and say, don't do that. One of the ones that kind of triggers me is when people say, you're a genius. It's like, don't be stupid. And the reason I say that is because if I am a genius, that means that what I have, you can't have. And I don't believe that that's true. What I believe is, I'm a working class boy from the north of England with dyslexia. That's what I am. What are you? So, the betrayal and the bondage is a possibility for all of us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing the breakthrough, it literally changes the world. It changes the world. So it's worth the risk, isn't it, of allowing people to come into our life, allowing people to want the things that, that are happening in our life so that other people have in their life the multiplication of God's kingdom. 
And here's a little test for you. This is what Jesus said. Because I go to the Father, and because you believe in me, you will do greater things than I have done. A little test is this, and this would maybe have helped Gideon. Did he want other people to have greater victories than the victory he'd just seen? That's your key. The key that will test your heart in relation to all of this stuff is, as you share your life with another, do you want them to see the benefits that you know in your life, but to a greater degree, to a, a wider extent, and among more people? Because if you do, then you're good. That makes sense to everybody? Everybody getting it? This is what we're going to do. We're going to spend a minute in, in silence and we're going to make an intention for the week. What's the intention? Is the intention to be more self-revealing to our teenage kids about the struggles and the breakthroughs in our life? Is our intention to be more available to our spouse so that they don't feel like you are close to God and they're not and they don't know how to get there is your intention to be more self-revealing to your work colleagues and, and close friends so that they can begin to see how it is that Jesus is working in your life I don't know what your intention is but let's have a minute just to settle and let's ask the Lord to bring to our attention the intention for today and this week.